Are you ready to think beyond the accepted social paradigms? Are you ready to expand your thinking and see what others are afraid to accept? Is your perception of reality as fluid as thought or set hard as stone? Today on the Minds Eye podcast, join host Paul James Caden and his special guest Clint Haycock as they discuss the topic of evangelicalism. Is it a divine truth or just another man-made religion? Hello, everyone, and welcome to the debut episode of the Mind's Eye Podcast. I'm your host, Paul James Caden. And today, we are not going to waste any time in launching out into the deep waters when it comes to conversation topics and subject matter. On today's podcast, we will be discussing evangelical Christianity. Is it a divine truth or simply another man-made religion? This is going to be a two-part series, and I want to put a verbal warning right up front that some of the subject matter might not be easy for some people to hear or accept. But I would encourage everyone listening to these next couple of shows to please do your own research and confirm these things for yourself. Across the world, there are many people that follow one form or another of Christianity, And many of those forms of Christianity or denominations have adopted in one way or another certain belief systems and doctrines of the evangelical community. And many people think that those doctrines and those ideas are indisputable, undeniable truths. But the question we're asking here is, are they really? A word we hear a lot today is the word agenda. Everyone has an agenda, but the place most people don't look when it comes to individuals or organizations having an agenda is at our religious leaders, the religious organizations. We trust what we're being told, at least most people do or many people do, and we're unaware of the origin of some of these doctrines and the agendas and the the political pandering that some of these people do. And then actually why they do it. Here in the United States, we see this rally around Donald Trump from the evangelical community, and most of us don't even ask, why are they doing that? Is Donald Trump really this servant of God sent to make America great again? Or is there something else going on behind the scenes that probably 98% of the people are completely oblivious to? So we're going to get into all of this and more. And here to help me do that is Mr. Clint Haycock. Clint, I thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to join me on the show today. Welcome to the Mind's Eye. Yeah, thanks for having me. Looking forward to chatting with you. Yeah, I think this is going to be awesome. So uh, tell the folks out there uh, a little about yourself, what your background is, and uh, you know why you're here today to share your expertise in this particular subject. Okay, like you mentioned, I'm a former evangelical. I was a senior pastor of a church in Portland, Oregon for about 12 years while I was going to Bible college and seminary there. And then I moved over here to the UK about 15 years ago now to do a PhD in biblical studies and homiletics, which is preaching. And then I taught at a Bible college 
over here in Leeds and Liverpool for about another eight years and then kind of walked away from the whole thing. So that's been my journey for the last probably eight or 10 years. I've been working my way out. So my background is basically in academics and, you know, theology, biblical studies, all that kind of stuff. For about 20 years, I've been doing that my whole adult life, really. And uh, it's been a long journey for sure. But I've been doing this podcast called the Mind Shift Podcast for about four years now. And I've done I've done a lot of stuff on cults, cult psychology. And now the last year I've been focusing on the Christian right, dominion theology, all that stuff I'm sure we'll get into, really the dangers of what's going on, not just in America today, but really around the world. It is. It's it's very concerning, you know, and, mm-hmm. and people, you know, who listen to my show, I've been podcasting now for, uh, you know, probably over three years or so. And this is something that, that I've always mentioned, you know, I'm, I'm not one to come on and say, ah, you know, uh, you're a fool for believing what you believe. But, you know, I, I think it's both spiritually and psychologically damaging some of the things that you know, these religions teach people and indoctrinate them with, mm-hmm. you know, that they're almost, they're almost like, uh, as we've, uh, you know, had banter on Skype back and forth and, and the, you know, commenting on posts. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like so many people belong to a cult, you know, they have the same rhetoric, they have that kind of empty look in their eye and you, you just can't, you can't reach them. You can't reason with them. Uh, you can't have a conversation with them. It turns very ugly, very strange. And, um, you know, I, I, for one, you know, I, I feel very bad for people that, that are in that kind of situation because I was there. I wasn't quite the, as I always say, the, the glossy eyed cult member, you know, mm-hmm. of evangelical yeah. Christianity. But I, I certainly know what it's like to, have a spiritual path that is so devoid of the peace and the love and everything is, you know, so dark. It's the devil and the people who don't believe like you believe in the end of the world and all this uh, crazy stuff. It, it definitely, uh, uh, which is something we'll we'll talk about a little bit in, in this show as mm-hmm. well, is the, the post-traumatic stress syndrome you have when you come out of that. You know, you feel like you're a turtle out of the shell for a minute, you know, going, mm-hmm. holy cow, you know, am I going to hell that I do the right thing? Am I losing my mind? <laughs> you know, what's, yeah. you know, what's the deal with reality here? You know, <laughs> it's true. But uh, well, one, one example is someone said it's like getting out of prison. You know, the, the rest of the world has moved on while you've been stuck in this psychological prison in this religion or a cult or whatever your experience was. And it's like the person walking out of that jail cell. And they've got to then readjust to the real world again, especially if you've you if you were not a believer before you joined the religion and then left it. In my case, it was different because I was raised in it. So I was born into Christianity from from day one. Literally, I was I believed everything was true. My parents said it was true. The pastor said it was true. And so I was exposed to a lot of what we call religious trauma syndrome, the things you just were talking about as a young child. The fear of hell, the fear of missing the rapture and all those things within evangelicalism, that's deeply traumatic, especially to a child. So it does a huge amount of damage that you've got to then work through as an adult. Yeah, and so what, 
tell us what caused you to ultimately say, uh, you know, you were walking away from this. You came to the conclusion after everything that, that you've done, you know, uh, you know, Bible college, being a pastor. Uh, what brought you to the conclusion to say, I, I don't feel that this is true anymore. I don't feel that this is right. Uh, I'm walking away and taking my chances. Well, it was a long journey. It wasn't something that happened overnight. It took years to work my way out. I think I mentioned that earlier, that it took a long time. I think a lot of it started with my role as a pastor because I was burning out. I didn't realize it at the time, but I see now I was utterly burned out when I was pastoring this church in Portland. And I, I was suffering a lot of distress and trauma just from being in that leadership role. It's, it's a very thankless, exhausting job. As most pastors will tell you, it's very tiring emotionally, physically, spiritually. It's draining. And so part of us getting out of the States and coming over here was to kind of start a new life anyway. I mean, I was still very much involved in the church. I wanted to be a Bible college teacher. That's why I did a PhD. I was going to get back into academics. And my my thought at the time was I want to do this degree because as a teacher, I'll be able to influence new generations of ministry leaders coming up. And so I thought I'll pass my wisdom, my experiences along what it was really like to be in the trenches for 10 or 12 years as a church leader, as a pastor, as an elder, a youth pastor. I'd done all those things. But in that process of really studying the sort of theological academic side, I, I started having more and more questions that I was not finding answers to. So part of it was deconstructing my relationship with the church but the other half of it was the sort of theological worldview piece that wasn't making sense as much anymore. And then what was happening was with my students, I was bringing up a lot of my own issues that I was working through, and that was causing a lot of existential sort of threats in their mind, you know, because they're like, whoa, right. this guy, who he's supposed to be teaching at a Bible college. <laughs> Is he even a Christian or what? He's making us question all these things. And so I realized that they, they did me a favor in the end that— they uh, laid me off, basically, because this college ran out of money, which was the best thing that's ever happened to me. You know, really, I was really having a harder and harder time, you know, sort of maintaining the party line. So I ended up getting made redundant, which is what they say here in the UK, but it's being laid off. And um, I've never looked back. I've never gone back into academics, at least in that regard, teaching, you know, Bible theology and all that. So it was a long journey. It took about 10 years to get out. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. It wasn't uh, it wasn't overnight for me either. I probably started uh, about 1993, 94, mm -hmm. and I didn't fully, uh, you know, pull the plug until the year 2000. But it mm -hmm. was uh, it it was hard. It was definitely hard. You know, it is. I I, I had uh, that spring and that summer of, of 2000 tremendous like anxiety you know talk about post-traumatic stress syndrome you know i i was thinking to myself i just kind of walked away from and said that's it for for a path that i followed for years you know it's like like you said pretty much all your life sure it's your whole identity and, uh, yeah i mean i really was dreaming is. about it I, I was waking up literally in the in the cold sweats you you, you don't yeah. realize and, and and that's not me i'm not that kind of person to get all rattled over you know uh you There's know some doctrinal beliefs. difference yeah yeah 
and 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 I was surprised myself. Like, man, I'm I'm really going through some stuff here. This is yeah, this is traumatic. You know, I, I look back and I say, geez, I'm, you know, I, I was fortunate that I I made it through that valley uh, without mm. needing you know pills or counseling. You know, but uh, some people don't make it. Took, yeah, really I know. Don't. I know. I mean, people, it's true. I know. I know people that are still on that path. They're still asking the questions. They're still in anxiety land for you know mm-hmm. years now, years and years. Well, and and that's one of the uh, pieces about it is you've got to process on the back end. Uh, there's a, a famous there's a woman, Dr. Marlene Winnell. I've had her on my podcast. She sort of wrote the book on religious trauma syndrome, and she talks about RTS. It's a double whammy because on the one hand. You're experiencing the trauma within the religion, like you were talking about, the fear of hell and all these other doctrines that they lay on us. So you're being you're being a, sort of abused spiritually, emotionally, maybe even sexually in some cases within the system. And then when you leave it, you've got to process all the grief, the anger, the loss, the betrayal, the trauma that you mm-hmm. experience while you're in it. So it's a double whammy. And, and the, you, people have to sort of look at it from a, a step back and look at it objectively and say, well... There, there's two elements, at least two elements to this whole piece of dealing with RTS, and you might need therapy or counseling uh, to process this stuff. So, so what were some of the things? Uh, so, folks listening uh, get a little bit of a better grasp. What were some of the things that you were questioning that made you say, you know, I don't know about this worldview anymore? Yeah. Well, that's a good question. I think a lot of it was, I see it now, I was questioning the dogma that I was raised in the sort of fundamentalist version of Christianity. So when I went off to Bible college and then seminary, the more I got into academics, studying church history and theology, I began to see right away that there were many, many, many different traditions within Christianity. So I was only representing a very small segment of the whole the whole picture, as it were, So that right there sort of opened my eyes to the reality that, wait a minute, I was being told all the time as a kid that we had the corner on the truth, capital T, truth. Then I come to Mm -hmm. find out, wait a minute, first of all, there's loads of different denominations. There's all kinds of different traditions, everywhere from Eastern Orthodox to Roman Catholic to Lutheran to Presbyterian to Charismatic, Baptist, you name it, thousands and thousands of denominations and traditions. Who's to say which one of them is correct because they all think that you know they're right so that right. kind of rattled me a lot and so i was going on this journey to try to find what was sort of the true religion and go back to something sort of a new testament spirituality or whatever but there's a lot of issues with that and the more i studied the bible uh for from a phd anyway i began to realize that there was all kinds of problems with the text of the bible itself you know as far as transmission translations textual criticism i mean it's just a whole can of worms there so that that really did me in you know as far as viewing the bible as inerrant you know without mistakes and all that so there was a lot of different things that started it was like the death of a thousand cuts you know it wasn't one big thing but it was all these little things that added up right yeah it's it's uh i i had a similar path you know toward the end you know looking into uh christian history you know what what did the ancient christians believe and mm-hmm. as i talk about on this show a little bit that you know especially with the bible that becomes a big stumbling block because you know and i'm sure you know you know as you said looking back 
Christianity was not just one thing at one time. There were many different little groups of Christians. Oh, absolutely. You know, and and many of them in the beginning believed different things about Jesus. Some mm-hmm. said he was the son of God. Some some said he was, you know, something else. Uh, many mm-hmm. ancient Christians practiced like folk magic, which would be absolutely forbidden, you know, mm-hmm. uh, in this day and age. You know, they, they did little spells and rituals. It was kind of like a, you know, a little uh, folk religion to some. Mm-hmm. And uh, e- even the way that they looked at the Bible, they looked at it as being an inspired text written by fallible people. And there were mistakes. There were problems. Mm-hmm. And much of it, much of it was allegory, even like Adam and Eve, they looked at it as, as a story, an allegory, you know, and you yeah. verse that to today with the, the modern evangelical fundamentalist Christian who says the Bible is the infallible, inerrant, literal, God breathed word of, of the divine. It's a completely different animal. And you see is, how people absolutely. start you see how people start falling over that and say, well, if this is God's literal, literal word, why is there this problem and that little contradiction and two different sides to this story? You know, one gospel tells it this way, the other tells it that way. The ancients had no problem with that because they said, you know what, it's, it's an inspired text written by fallible people. There's going to be mm-hmm. mistakes. Absolutely. You know, they looked at much. Mm-hmm. There's even, I, I think it's the Benedictines, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the monks in the uh, the Catholic Church, who uh, they look at the uh, actually in a very old way as being all poetry that has uh, you know spiritual truth and moral significance. Mm-hmm. You know, so they have a, a very different way uh, of looking at it. Uh, as as uh, you know, again going back to the way some of the ancients viewed the text, rather than oh, this is God's you know literal word for word you know mm-hmm. and then as you said translation i mean the catholic church was sadly notorious uh, with their translation they changed a lot of things and added things in to fit their doctrines mm-hmm. and uh they they also killed off a lot of those uh, early folk christians that we have no record of is you know convert to our way or die so those very Absolutely. early early christians they're gone you know we, we have very little that we know about them yeah so and the only problem. thing yeah the only thing we know about them is what the catholic church ended up preserving quote unquote in their history their version of it for example the cathars is one of my favorite examples in southern france around about 1244 they wiped them out and they were supposedly heretics but the only thing we know about the cathars is what the catholic church told us they believed, which is that they were heretics but we, because they burned and and trashed all their writings, so we don't we don't even know what they actually believe. Mm-hmm. But they were a quote heretical sect, you know. So a lot of this is it's reactionary. I remember one of the things that Dr. Stanley Grenz, he was a Canadian theologian, he said that really stuck with me. He said that all theology is historically and culturally conditioned. In other words, mm-hmm. if if you look at the doctrines that have been set in place over the millennia, really by the church. Every one of them is basically a reaction to something or someone. Like you were saying, the, you go back before the time of Constantine, there was hundreds of different sects going around, Gnostics and all sorts of things, but they stamped that all out when Constantine made Christianity the official state religion of Rome with the Nicene Creed and all that. They said, if you don't believe this, you're in, you're, you're out. 
if you believe it, you're in. And everyone's a heretic if you don't believe it. And so that's kind of been the the playbook of the church really ever since is to be very reactionary. And then they'll draw a line in the sand and you're either in or you're out. And a lot of times they've been persecuted, murdered, uh, executed, assassinated, martyred, whatever, by the church. Yeah, and, uh, you know, many times they've killed their own people and then turned around and made them saints. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> so ironic. Go f- Go, go figure, figure that one. <laughs> I know. Later they go, whoops, maybe we got that one wrong. But, uh, well, <laughs> now we'll canonize this person, make him a saint. <laughs> it doesn't Put help the person who that. got burned at the stake, though, really, does it? Yeah, I, I hear you. But, you know, I, I think that's what happens when, uh, you know, when I look at what we know of some of the, uh, the you know, very early Christians, it's... It, it feels very comfortable to me. Some of it like suits my personality, my belief system, you know? Yeah. But, but then when you, you know, you wonder what Christianity would be today, uh, if it wasn't taken over by, you know, this big conglomerate to, uh, you know, make it their own. Mm-hmm. Well, it's and all about money and was... power, isn't it? That's the whole thing. As soon as they made Christianity, the state religion of Rome, the Pope kind of became a de facto king of the Roman Empire after it collapsed in the West, you know. So ever since then, in the Western tradition anyway, up until the Reformation, the Catholic Church was the only game in town. They told you what was heresy and what wasn't, and they had the power to send armies and destroy your country if you didn't, you know, sort of agree with their theology. So the Pope had incredible amounts of power, and really the Reformation is... is just as much a political reaction as it was a theological one too, because these pr- princes in Germany were trying to, they were saying, Hey, the, here, now's our chance to get out from under the, the thumb of the Pope, you know? So there's all that that goes along with what, what happened, you know, historically. It is. It's, it, it was absolutely crazy what they, uh, what yeah. they did. Yeah. They persecuted, you know, the Anabaptists, both the Lutherans and the Calvinists were, persecuting the Anabaptists, so they weren't exactly lily-white, you know, saints either. Just because they weren't Catholics doesn't mean they weren't, you know, uh, above barbarism as well. So <laughs> they got blood on their hands, too, just as much as the Catholic Church does. Yeah, and, and a lot of people don't know either, you know, particularly Protestants. You know, they, they hail, you know, Martin Luther as, you know, the hero. You know, he, mm-hmm. he broke away his 95 thesis, but a lot of people don't know about luther and I'm, I'm sure you know this he had a lot of regret about his breaking away after there was so much division and fragmenting mm. and yeah, wars uh, f- and fanaticism and and toward the end of his life he said if he knew uh what was going to happen when he broke away from the catholic church he never would have done it it was like an absolute mm. nightmare <laughs> yeah and of course he was you know anti-semitic as well which, of course, most people back then were. I'm not excusing Luther, but, I mean, that's another aspect of Luther a lot of people don't know about. You know, he wrote treatises against the Jews and their lies, and, you know, so he was mm-hmm. not a, a saint himself either, old Luther. Yeah, and it's, you know, whatever people may think of Jesus, I mean, I'm, I'm you know, I'm cool with Jesus. I'm sure there was a, a historical Jesus. I think some of the 
you know, the things that we have in the Gospels, they're, they're very interesting and deep teachings. Mm-hmm. And it's always incredibly fascinating to me how you can, you know, as some say, read those red letters in the, uh, in, in the Gospels and then see every religion, you know, Catholic, yeah. Protestant, yeah. you know, uh, evangelical, fundamentalist. They're all doing the things he said not to do. <laughs> yeah. All the and, irony. And repeat, yeah. Repeating the same dogmas and nonsenses, you know, like the Pharisees yeah. that, that Jesus continued. To, and I always say, how do they get away with that one? You know, it's yeah. like, holy cow, Batman. Are, are, are you serious that you don't actually see what you're doing? <laughs> yeah. Well, they're, they're the ones you know? who are in charge. That's how they get away with it. You know, they're like you said. If if you, Jesus came down today, let's say we put him in that DeLorean and fast forwarded him to to today, I think the people he'd have the biggest problem with are exactly the people you're talking about, the religious establishment, not just in America, of course, but in other countries as well, because they were the ones that were doing the very things that he was railing against in the Gospels. You know, so yeah. nothing's changed really in that regard. Yeah, they, they'd probably hang him up on the cross all yep. over again and say, you're not the I real Jesus. They <laughs> they'd, they'd crucify him again because he he would dare to call them out for their bullshit, you know. And so that's exactly what they don't. There's no accountability. You know, I, I'm sure we'll talk about this in a little bit. But all these so-called prophets that are going around that prophesied that Donald Trump was going to win in 2020, they've all been proven wrong. Well, there's no accountability for them. They're getting away with it, you know. Uh, so what about that? Nothing. Not a word. Because nobody, there's nobody that they have to answer to. They're not answerable to anybody except for their own followers. You know, if they stop donating, that might hurt them. Yeah, and it's like I tell the, a lot of these people, you know, which, uh, you know, again, we're going to get into this a little bit deeper in uh, episode two. But, uh, you know, I tell a lot of evangelicals, I say, you know, that the, the very Bible that you're touting you know, talks about this, you know, antichrist figure that, that will be a politician that many will think is God mm-hmm. or from God. There will be like yeah. this cult member, you know, and, and here's something like this growing right before our eyes. And, and you're, yeah, not even question, you're not even questioning that. And, and the response from, you know, Christians, F you, you're blind. You don't know what you're talking about. You're lost. You're brainwashed by MSN, you know, or MSM, yeah. whatever. Lamestream media. <laughs> While they're you know, listening to Breitbart and Fox News and, you know, Alex Jones. Yep, it's true. And it's 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 just incredible, you know, how how blind and deaf people are. They they can't even uh, they can't even see what mm. their own religion has has taught them for you know two thousand years plus. Yeah. You know, it's well, and it's I think absolute. it's worth, yeah, it's worth stepping back and looking at it from another perspective. There's a guy named Paul Kibble. I've had him on the show a while back, but he wrote a book about Christian hegemony. And reading his work has really kind of opened my eyes because he said, look, Christianity has been the dominant force in the world, not just in the West, for centuries. Because not only did they have control over the West in the in the terms of the Roman Catholic Church and then the Protestant Reformation as well, but they've been a part of co- colonizing the rest of the world along with the European superpowers. So their impact is total across the world. So that's probably why I think in many ways they don't want to hear it because they've been so used to being 
in charge, really, Christianity in terms of the world and their impact on the world politically, religiously for millennia now. So they've just gotten used to being in charge. And so when you call them out on it, of course, they're going to get angry. Yeah, and, and, you know, whatever happened to my kingdom is not of this world. And if it mm. were, my, my, my disciples would, you know, fight to establish or defend it. But they're not because this isn't, uh, you know, basically this isn't their home. This isn't their land. Mm-hmm. But here we are, you know, all these uh, religions conquer, kill, go to war, torture, maim, take over. You know? Yeah, <laughs> all in the name of I God mean, or Allah or somebody, you know. Yeah, it's true. So, so again, isn't that even like throwing a good, uh, you know, scalding cup of water in the face of Jesus? You know, saying, "Hey, man, (laughs) we're going to do our thing." (laughs) Yeah. Well, you turned Jesus into a political figure, and that that was kind of the 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 way it went as far as the Dominion crowd, which I'm sure we'll get into a little bit later. But you know, they see him as a political figure. Which is obviously not what he was what was all about in the Gospels anyway. They kept trying to make him a king, and he resisted every effort. You know, I don't want to be your king. I'm not here for that. So mm-hmm. even then, that like you said, doesn't it's not consistent with at least the teachings in the Gospel. Yeah, take take the last uh, you know five eight minutes here and and tell us about Dominion theology. That this was something that I found. Uh, very disturbing in my latter years of of evangelical Christianity. And and one of the things that uh, really kind of spurred me to take a second look and and start that uh, peeling away process even more. So tell the folks, I'm sure most people out there never even heard of uh, Dominion Theology. What is it Mm -hmm. and what does it teach? Well, a good place to start is to watch the series The Family on Netflix, which was a, from a book written by Jeff Charlotte. If, if if nothing else, go look at that series. It's about, I think, a six-part documentary on Netflix. That's what actually opened my eyes to this whole thing of Dominion theology, because in the series The Family, Jeff Charlotte talks about this organization in Washington, D.C. That's It's a Christian organization. It's very, very secretive. Nobody really knows are no one knows what they're exactly doing but he said they follow a line of theology called dominion theology and i thought what is that i've heard of a lot of theologies i've never heard of dominion theologies so about a year and a half ago i started researching dominion theology and i came across a guy his name was rj rush dooney and he's the kind of the father of a movement called christian reconstructionism and i think rj rush dooney was really the first one going back to about the 40s or early 50s even, just goes back a long ways, to actually sort of write a systematic sort of approach to what he considered dominion theology to be. And basically they take their uh, mandate from Genesis 1, 26 through 28, which says, you know, it's, it's God talking to Adam and Eve in the text of Genesis, and he says that you should rule over the earth and have dominion over it. And they say, mm-hmm. ah, that is our mandate as Christians that we have to rule and subdue the earth and have dominion, which is, in their understanding of it, it's a political dominion. They want to be in charge politically and religiously and educationally and on all these other areas. They think Christians should be running the show. And in some um, aspects of dominion theology, they believe that when Christians are in charge of everything, then Christ will return. 
and then it'll be this amazing right. sort of millennial kingdom of a thousand years. There's some different streams in there. Some are more charismatic than others, but that's basically, in a nutshell, kind of what the thrust is. And that's why we see, for example, in American evangelicalism, why they're so involved in the political sector with Trump, especially because that's their aim. They're trying to take dominion, and they see it as gaining and and holding on to political power. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember uh, this is probably in the uh, throughout the '90s, the the mid to maybe uh, the the latter, when uh, I was into the whole evangelical. I was like, you know, dabbling in the whole word of faith uh, mm-hmm. movement, which you know now they refer to more as the prosperity gospel. And uh, that's when I first heard about it. And, you know, basically, you know, they believe in, and this is where the, the prosperity gospel kind of gets their jumping off point uh, of being rich. Because uh, like you said, you know, they're they're supposed to uh, dominate the earth. They're supposed to reign certain mm-hmm. things that they do before, you know, they do, you know, X, Y and Z. And then Jesus will return and then the rapture will come. And they believe as children of God, as the chosen ones, uh, this earth and all the riches and everything in it belong to God. Therefore, it belongs to them. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I've heard many evangelicals say, you know, right now, the, uh, the sinners and those who are not saved are just using our resources, our riches. But in mm-hmm. the end, it's all going to come to us. Yeah, it's gonna be transferred you know, over. Yeah, so yeah. so they definitely have this uh, this world conquest mentality, which you said you know leads into why uh, the evangelicals and the the fundamentals are so steeped in government, because that's their vehicle to you know world dominion, mm-hmm. you know, and then the you know Christ will come back and you know folks. Uh, when you get into that sort of thing, you see what happens. Look what happened when the Catholic Church was, you know, uh, conquering the world for Christ. You know, they were uh, hanging people upside down and sawing, yeah. sawing them in half, you know, at the crotch. You yeah, know, they had some the weird stake. thing that, yeah, and oh, always yeah. that weird thing they would stick up their butt and like open it up and stretch out their, mm-hmm. you know, their, their inside, their innards. Oh, you yeah. know, Spanish Inquisition. Yeah, this this uh, this is man's way of doing things, and that's not going to change. You know, yeah, it's all in the name power, of religion. Yeah, yeah, absolute power corrupts absolutely, and if they have their way, this kind of thing is absolutely going to happen again. So yeah. it's well, not it's a, a handmaid's tale sort of thing. That's what a lot of people think. That's there's the version of what they call a theocracy where. They're ruling over society according to God's laws in the Old Testament. That's really the aim of what Christian Reconstruction is all about. That was Rush Dooney's whole program, was to say that the world, certainly America, but the rest of the world should be governed by the Old Testament laws in the Bible. And so he he would bring in the death penalty for homosexuality and for someone who'd lost their virginity before marriage and an incorrigible teen and you know, drag them out in the square and stone them, let the community put them to death. And that was what he was advocating. So it's not a far stretch to that vision that you just articulated, really. No, it's 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 definitely not. You know, yeah, you, you see the way that uh, 
some of these uh, people that are flocking around the the Trump prophecies in this evangelical political mindset, mm-hmm. uh, how violent they are, you know, and, and I've seen some of them on uh, Facebook and on Twitter. I mean, not, not so much now since they're really kind of uh, limiting that kind of thing and getting rid of it. But I've seen some of these people with, uh, you know, the, their Jesus and Trump T-shirts hold, holding the Bible you know, with big hand-painted signs in the back that all the, you know, all the Democrats should be neutered and all unbelievers mm-hmm. should be euthanized, you know. Yeah. It's like, wow, our, our, it, it's alive and well out there. It really it is. Really is. <laughs> well, if people want a good resource, check out Sarah Posner's book, Unholy. Why, I think it's Why White Evangelicals Worship at the Altar of Donald Trump. And she lays out in really chilling detail there's an increasing marriage between the Christian right and the alt-right. So this is what's happened over the last four or five years, that these two groups have increasingly been coming together. So you're seeing these sort of white supremacist, militia-type groups together with the Christian right, and they are starting to merge together. And the outcome, as you say, might well be violence. I mean, this election thing isn't over yet, so we don't know what's going to happen in the next few weeks. We don't. We we definitely don't. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, some people think it's signed, sealed, and delivered. You know, Biden's gonna you know be the guy, but you don't know. These these are strange mm-hmm. days indeed. Very <laughs> much so. Yeah. And there's uh, very there's very few people that question it. You know, I I comment on these uh, kind of things on you know YouTube and on social media, and there's maybe two or three people that will come along, you know, Christians and say, I agree. I'm so nervous about what's happening. How can people believe this? You know? Mm. And, um, you know, to me, I, I, I think true, you know, good old ancient Christianity is still out there, but it's, it's rare. It's very rare. It's very rare. Well, there was a big sea change probably about in the 19, late 1970s, this is something actually Jerry Falwell Sr. talked about. Of course, he was the founder or one of the founders of the Moral Majority around about the time of uh, Jimmy Carter's presidency and then Ronald Reagan. And so he said something that, you know, Christianity used to be about going out and witnessing, you know, evangelizing to your friends, your relatives, your neighbors, trying to win them to Christ, you know, sort of individually and get them to heaven. But he said there was a change around about the late 1970s whereby we began to realize, hey, the way to get this thing done is we need to get involved in the political sphere. That's really how we're going to take over and rule the world. It's not going to be one person at a time, you know, telling their neighbor about Jesus. It's about getting guys installed at the very highest levels of power in Washington, D.C. and in other capitals around the world. That's where this whole thing is going. So that's really the logical outcome of Trump's evangelical advisory board, people like Paula White, those people are this trajectory of what guys like Falwell were starting back in 1979. This has been going on Mm -hmm. a long time. It's nothing new. It has, you know, and for the listener out there, you know, uh, we're not here, you know, bashing Christianity or, you know, bashing Jesus or the Bible, you know, this show is more of a wake-up call, you know, to mm. the dangers of what is happening, you know, and those who have listened to my shows over the years, you know, I'm, I'm a very spiritual person. I don't poo-poo on, on anybody's belief system, 
but when it becomes a danger, you know, to yourself and others, as they would say in, in uh, psychology, you know, yeah, I, I think at least me, I, I feel a responsibility to speak up and say, hey, wait a minute, folks, put on the brakes here. You know, mm-hmm. and it's very interesting just the way you you worded that, you know, getting people in these positions of power and the the whole dominion theology, the the takeover through government. Again, you know, if folks out there, you know, evangelical Christians and, and you're listening to this or, you know, maybe family members, you know, share these next couple of podcasts with them because it's it's important to think about these things. And again, I, I say, is isn't that kind of what. Uh, what many call the beast system in the last days. It's the religious mm. political system, you know, and it persecutes and it kills, as the Bible says, the, in the last days, those who kill you who th- will think they're doing God a service, you know, mm. and it's, uh, it could fast be approaching that threshold uh, if these knuckleheads, you know, <laughs> succeed their in their, yeah. Well, so, you mentioned, yeah, the t- oh, go ahead. What were you going to say? I was just going to say, so, you know, be careful who you trail after and, and make mm. your leader and your prophet because, you know, it could uh, it could be leading somewhere very bad in the future. Mm-hmm. Well, I was going to mention, you, you talked about these Trump re-election prophecies. This is sort of the charismatic side of Dominion theology, what they call Seven Mountains Mandate Dominion theology, which is another slightly different stream, but it is related they want Christians in charge of what they see as these seven mountains of influence across society. And these guys are twisting themselves into, you know, backflips and knots trying to explain away why they got it wrong. Because to a person, they all confidently predicted that Trump was going to win in a landslide even over Joe Biden. Of course, that's been proven to be false. So now they're saying, whoops, are we false prophets or what? Well, it's a, it's gotten increasingly, increasingly threatening fear-mongering. We have guys that are saying, you know, we shouldn't accept the results of this election. You need to get out in the streets and meet those lefties out there that voted for Biden. So they're advocating violence now. Some of these Christian preachers are actually saying, no, we don't accept this. This is a a robbery and we're going to rise up if necessary. So now it's crossing lines into advocating actual violence. So this is dangerous stuff. This is not just some guy ranting on a radio somewhere, a radio show. These guys have actual <laughs> followers that have, you know, AR-15s. You know, they're part of some yeah. militia group. And that's where the, the distinction between the alt-right and the Christian right is, as I say, becoming increasingly blurred. It's all about God's gun, God, guns, and Trump sort of a mentality. And these guys mm-hmm. are upset and angry, and they're about ready to grab their rifles and start, well, we've already seen it, you know, going out and shooting people in the streets. I know. And, and that, my friend, is a great jumping off point to uh, end episode one of our conversation. And uh, when this uh, this show comes out, it will be on a Monday, probably the Monday after Thanksgiving. And stay tuned for part two on Wednesday, because we're going to talk about the Trump prophecies and get a little bit more into what's happening uh, with all of this uh, election and, and prophecies and all that good stuff. A lot of stuff in the old uh, trick-or-treat bag to go through. So uh, thanks, uh, Clint, for being here, and I look forward to our next conversation. Yeah, thanks. Looking forward to chatting. And uh, every everybody listening, stay safe, stay well, and we'll see you next time here 
on the Mind's Eye Podcast.